But if you've got your Bible there, keep it open. Now we're going to look at this really important passage this morning. And we're going to be talking a little bit about doubts. And all of us live with some doubts. If you think about it for a second, you'll see them. And there are lots of doubts that you and I can live with quite happily. I, uh, I have some doubts that I'm getting the best electricity deal that I could get. But I don't doubt enough or care enough to actually go and do something about it. I can, I can live my life, I can function without knowing that I have the best electricity deal. There are some doubts that you can live with. There are some that are a little bit more serious. Janice and I had to make the decision this year about sending Josiah. Do we go to a private school or a public school? And we've made a decision. We're happy with that decision. But there's still that little bit of doubt in our mind. Did we make the right decision? But we can, we can live with that. We're not crippled by those doubts. We can live with them. There are some doubts that you can live with, but when doubts start to impact relationships, that's when you start to get in real trouble. Now, when, I, when Janice and I first met, uh, I was a little slow to show my feelings for her. We spent lots of time together. We got to know each other really well. We enjoyed hanging out. But the longer I went without asking Janice out, the more she started to doubt whether I liked her. The more she started to doubt whether I was even being true or honest with her. And I learned afterwards that she actually started to get a bit annoyed at me. It it actually impacted our relationship before we'd even kind of started one. She was starting to lose trust in me. She thought, maybe I can't trust this guy. You see, when doubt enters a relationship, it can destroy it. Because relationships depend on trust. Well, this morning we're going to see that that's even more true of our relationship with God. Our relationship with God depends on trust. It is by faith that we have a relationship with God. And so when we have doubts, well, that can really erode at that trust and at that relationship. And so this morning we're going to come and consider doubts as we consider this passage, Genesis chapter 15, which is is one of the most important chapters in the Old Testament. It's a huge deal in Abram's life, what happens in this chapter. And it's a huge deal for us too. Because in this chapter, God makes a covenant with Abram. And it's all triggered by Abram's doubts. You see, Abram has fears and doubts and worries. And to deal with those, God seals the deal. He makes a covenant. He says, I want you to know that you can trust me. I want you to be sure. I want you to be absolutely convinced that what I say is true. And friends, God says the same to you and I this morning. Genesis chapter 15 shows us that we can know for certain that we are God's children. That you can know for certain that you are in a relationship with the living God. You can be sure that you can live forever with him. And so, friends, this is one of the most important chapters of the Bible for you as well. So we're going to take a look at it together. How about I pray and ask that God would help us see clearly what he has for us in this chapter. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we ask that you would give us clear minds as we consider your word now. Help us to see your truth and help us to trust it too, Lord. Lord, we know that in it there are treasures beyond our imagination. And so, Lord, we ask that you would give us 
the wisdom and understanding to see them and to live by them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've lost my outline, but if you grabbed a handout on the way in, there's three points on the back. It's very simple. We're going to look first at Abram's doubts this morning. Then we're going to look at God's grace to Abram. And finally, we're going to see how all of that impacts our faith. So Abram's doubts, God's grace, our faith. But the chapter begins with Abram actually being given every reason to trust God. Every reason to have no doubts. Because in verse 1, it says, After this, that is after Abram's gone and rescued Lot, like we looked at last week, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Now, this chapter is the only chapter in the first five books of the Bible where you will read of the word of the Lord coming to someone. Now, later on in the Old Testament, you'll get to the books of the prophets and the word of the Lord came to is a a phrase that you'll read again and again, hundreds of times. The word of the Lord came to Isaiah. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. But this is unique in Abram's time. And it means that God is speaking clearly, directly, authoritatively to Abram. This isn't just a dream. This isn't Abram was having a vague feeling. This is God being clear audible speaking to Abram. What's God say to him? He says, do not be afraid, which usually means there's a good reason to be afraid. You know, you've had that before. If someone looks at you and says, don't freak out, that means there's very good reason for you to freak out right now. Don't freak out because there's a massive spider about to eat your face. God says to Abram, don't be afraid, which means he's probably got something to be afraid about, but we don't see it at first. What's Abram got to be afraid of? Abram doesn't say that he's afraid. But God knows that he is. God knows that Abram is worried about something. God knows that Abram Abram is afraid. And in a moment, it's going to come to the surface. And so God says, don't be afraid. I am your shield, your very great reward. Now, notice that God doesn't say, I will give you a shield. I will offer you a reward. No, no, no. He says, I am your shield. I am your reward. I myself will protect you. I will stand before you to protect you. Your prize, your reward is is me. That's what God says to him. You see, the first way that God deals with Abram's doubts is to say that, look, I am with you. I am your shield. I am your reward. And friends, you know, it's the same for you. This is absolutely true for us. And there are lots of benefits of being in a relationship with God. Being a Christian will make you more loving and that will lead to better relationships. Being a Christian will make you more generous, which will lead to greater satisfaction, more contentment in life. Being a Christian means that you don't have to fear death because you know you're going to live forever with God. Being a Christian brings all sorts of benefits, even heaven itself. It's a perk. It's a benefit, but it's not the main thing. You see, all of those perks, all of those benefits, they're like the little cookie you get with your coffee. They're like the bottle of wine you get with your hotel room. They're like the staff discount you get at work. They're nice little perks, but you wouldn't settle for just the perk. If your boss came to you and said, look, I'm not going to pay you 
but you can have 5% off. Yeah, that's not a good deal. You don't want that. They're, they're just little added benefits. You see, heaven is just a little added benefit. It's a perk. It's nice. It's going to be really nice. But do you know what the, the gold is? Do you know what the real treasure is? It's God himself. It's God saying, you can have me. You can have a relationship with me. We don't just get his stuff. We get him. We get a relationship with him. We get him as our shield, our great reward. Well, friends, Abram receives this encouraging word, this infallible authority of direct revelation from God. It's a true word, a word that has never failed, a wonderful word. And what's Abram do? He doubts. Have a look at verse 2. Abram says, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household. But what can you give me? Remember, God has just promised him everything. He's just promised him that he's going to make him great. He'll be a great nation. He'll have a great land. Everything will be well for Abram. And Abram says, I don't want that. He's like the kid at Christmas who can't look past the hundred presents they did get because there's one present they didn't get. No reward will satisfy except the one thing he doesn't have. Because Abram wants a son. He wants an heir. And so he points the finger at God and says, You have given me no children. This is your fault. I'm worried. I'm afraid. I have doubts because you haven't done what you said you would do. That's a strong accusation to make to God. And you might expect God to get angry to that, wouldn't you? You might think God's going to blow up and say, who are you to talk to me like that? How dare you doubt me? But God doesn't do that. Do you see what God does? Instead, he gives him his true infallible word again. He says, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He promises again, trust me, Abram, I will do what I've said I will do. And then he takes him outside to remind Abram of just exactly who it is that he's dealing with. He takes him outside. He says, look up at the stars, Abram. Do you see all those stars? Can you count them, Abram? Of course you can't count them, Abram. But you know I can. Do you know why, Abram? Do you know why I can count all the stars? Because I made them. I made every single one of them. And if I can make more colossal space volcanoes than you can even count, you better believe that I can give you a son. The God, the star builder, God, the one who spoke the whole universe into existence. When he says he's going to do something, you better believe he's going to do it. And so in verse 6, Abram believes. He trusts God. He takes him at his word. His doubts subside. This is great. But it's very short-lived. Because when God keeps speaking and tells Abram that he's also going to bring this innumerable, innumerable descendants back to live in this land in Canaan, Abram interrupts with yet another doubt. Verse 8, Abram says, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of this land? How can I know? He's got more doubts. 
Abraham believes God, but then two verses later, he's right back to doubting. First he doubts God's promise of children, now he's doubting God's promise of land for those children to live in. First it was, what can you give me? Doubting God's goodness. And now it's, how can I know? Doubting God's word. just want to pause there for a moment to see that there's something we can learn from this. And the first thing that I want you to see is that doubt is inevitable. I think it's safe to assume that all of us have at some point had doubts about God. And some of you are sitting here this morning and you still have serious doubts about God. Some of you are here this morning and you're not really even sure if God is real. You're not convinced that he exists. You're kind of wondering. It sounds a little bit crazy, doesn't it? Some of you are here and you're pretty sure that God exists, but you do start to wonder whether God is actually good or whether he's actually in control. Because you look around the world and you see a lot of bad stuff happening and maybe you're even you know, having bad stuff happen to you. But why would a good God let that happen? Why does he let my husband get sick? Why does he let my friend die? Why does he let kids starve? You're starting to wonder whether God cares. You've got doubts. There'll be others of you here who are pretty sure God exists and you're pretty confident that God is good and that he is powerful. But you have doubts about something else. You've got doubts about yourself. So you're doubting whether God could really love you because you're not good enough for God. And you're wondering, am I in? Have I done enough? Does he accept me? Am I good enough? My friends, if you're here and you're experiencing doubts, then can I say you're in good company? (laughs) All of us here have doubts about something. You're in a room full of doubters. You're in good company. And you know what? Abram had the word of the Lord come to him. He had God speaking directly to him. And even he, this great hero of the faith, was a doubter. And of course you're going to have doubts. If Abram had doubts, you're going to have doubts. You are welcome to have doubts. I think in churches, we're sometimes a little bit afraid to admit that we're seriously wondering whether God's good. It is okay for you to have those doubts. But the second thing that you need to see is while God loves you and God cares and God accepts that you have doubts, God loves you too much to let you keep doubting. You see, this is where we keep going in the chapter as we move on to verse 9. Because while you might expect God to give up on Abram at the point that he's doubted him twice, he doesn't give up on Abram. And instead, he actually helps Abram believe. You see, this is what God does with us. We're weak. And God doesn't abandon us. He doesn't say, you're too weak. Go away. No, no. He says, I love you. And I'm going to help make you strong. He loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to let us stay as we are. And so what he does for us is what he does for Abram. He seals the deal. He makes Abram know that he can be certain. Abram asks, how can I know God? And God replies, this is how you'll know. 
Verse 9, so the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. That's how you'll know. <laughs> no, that's, that's a bit weird, isn't it? It's strange. What's going on here? We don't really know what's going on, but Abram seems to know exactly what's going on because verse 10, he brings a ram, a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon, and he cuts them in two, except for the birds, and he places these half animals in two piles opposite each other. And in verse 12, as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And then God reaffirms his promises. He says, Abram, I will make you into a great nation. I will give you this land. I will keep my promises. And you see, in the face of Abram's doubts, God makes a covenant. A covenant is a binding contract. And you are familiar with covenants. You're familiar with contracts. You, you have plenty of them. Because they're just like the contracts you have with your phone company or the contract you have with your employer or the contract you have with your husband or wife. And in a covenant, there's kind of four essential elements. You have two parties. Each of those parties make promises to each other, reciprocal promises. There are consequences for breaking those promises. And there is a way in which those promises are made binding. There are a way in which you say, yes, I'm agreeing to this agreement. Now, Janice and I rent our house around the corner, and so we have a rental contract. And so there's two parties. There's us and there's our landlord. We each make promises to each other. The landlord promises to let us live in this house for a specified period of time, and he also promises to replace the hot water system if it breaks. We, in turn, make promises in exchange. We say that we will pay rent if he lets us stay in his house for this specified period of time. We also agree to a bunch of other things, like not hanging our undies in the front yard, because that's in our rental agreement. And should either, either of us fail to keep those promises, well, there are consequences. And each of us bind ourselves to that agreement by putting a little illegible squiggle on the bottom of the page. That's how we bind ourselves to a contract in our day and age. We, we sign. We, we put the, the squiggle that no one else could do, only us. Well, contracts in ancient times were just like that, but there was a few little differences. And one of the big differences is that instead of doing the little squiggly line at the bottom of the piece of paper, now they did something way cooler, they cut up animals and walked between the halves of these animals. They walked between these pieces of animal, guts hanging out, blood soaked on the ground, and what they're saying is, let that happen to me if I break my word. If I don't keep my promises, let me be cut up like these animals. It's very graphic. You should try it next time you have to do a contract. Say, let's get rid of the paper. I've got another idea. But here's the big twist. Because in, these, in most covenants, both parties walk down the aisle. Both parties make promises. Both parties agree to the consequences. Both parties bind themselves in this agreement. And if one party fails, they face the sword. If the other party fails, they face the sword. But, friends, take a look at who goes through the pieces in verse 17. 
When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Now, if you know your Old Testament, smoke and fire, that means nothing else than God's presence. When God leads the Israelites out of Egypt in the Exodus, what's he lead them with? A pillar of cloud, smoke, and a pillar of fire. When God meets with Moses on the top of Mount Sinai, what do the people of Israel see? Smoke and fire. See, smoke and fire is God. And so while Abram is sleeping, God assumes the role of both parties to the covenant. God passes between these pieces of animal. He does that on behalf of himself, but he does it on behalf of Abram too. Now you've got to see how big a deal that is. The immortal, all-powerful God says to Abram, if I don't stay faithful to you, let me be like these animals. If I don't keep my promises to you, let me be cut off. And that's huge. That's a big deal. But then he goes one step further. Because he also says, if you, Abram, if you don't stay faithful to me, let me be cut off. God says, if I fail, I die. If you fail, I die. And friends, that's how God deals with Abram's doubts. Abram's scared. He's got fears. He's worried. God says, you have nothing to doubt. And I'll stake my life on it. See, that's the kind of assurance that God offers. And friends, completely unknown to Abram, thousands of years later, God would remember his covenant. Because there would come a day when a deep and dreadful darkness came over the land in the middle of the day. When the word of the Lord appeared, where God himself made flesh, was cut off from the land of the living, not because he had failed us, but because we failed him. Because we were unfaithful to him, Jesus Christ died. He was cut off. He shed his blood so that you wouldn't have to. And friends, hanging on that cross, Jesus became both your shield And your very great reward. Friends, that's how you overcome doubt in your relationship with God. You don't look at yourself. You look at what God has done. The God who has promised. And the God who has promised in such a way that he says, if you fail, I die. And you've got to see how how huge the ramifications are for your faith. And I'm going to finish on this. Because you might be here this morning and you're doubting that you're good enough for God. You might worry that you've broken all of God's laws, that he couldn't possibly love you. You've done too many bad things in your life. How could God love you? And friends, the gospel tells you that you have every reason to doubt. You're not good enough. But the gospel also tells you that you don't need to be. Because God himself passed through the pieces He promised you. He met your side of the contract. You're free. You might be here this morning and you're doubting that God is good enough for you. The first person doubts that they're good enough for God. You might be doubting that God is good enough for you. You might wonder whether God really cares, whether God is really in control, whether God is really good. And friends, the gospel tells you that he is so good, he was willing to die in your place. 
That's how good he is. Now you might be someone who's doubting whether your faith is strong enough. We often talk about that. I don't know if my faith is strong enough. I don't know if I'm really in. I don't know if I'm really a believer. And you start to fear. You have doubts. And friends, if that's you, hear this. Abram's belief is sandwiched between two doubts. He doubts God and then it says he believes God and then straight away he doubts God again. And yet God still credits him with righteousness. What does that tell us? At verse 6, that's a really important verse. Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Do you know what that means? It means that your salvation does not depend on how strong your faith is. It doesn't depend on how unwavering your faith is. It depends on who your faith is in. Faith is not trusting what you can do. It's trusting what God has said he will do. And that's what Abram did. His faith was weak. It was pathetic. It was full of doubts. But his faith was in God. And when our faith is in God, he credits us with righteousness. He brings us into right relationship with himself. And friends, I want to finish by showing you what faith is like. Faith is, uh, Jesus is like the bridge to God. And faith, oh sorry, there it is. Jesus is the bridge to God and faith is deciding whether you're going to walk over the bridge. And do you know what? It doesn't really matter if you look at Jesus and see the gateway bridge, big, strong, secure, trustworthy, or if you see a rickety rope bridge that looks like it's going to plummet. It doesn't matter. You could skip your way merrily across that bridge singing or you could cross that bridge on your hands and knees sobbing like a little girl and it doesn't matter. It does not matter how you feel about the bridge. What matters is that you go across the bridge. You see, that's what faith is. You can have doubts. You can worry. You can be unsure about things. But friends, if you walk across the bridge, if your faith is in Jesus, you have nothing to fear. Let me pray. Now, Lord God, what an astounding passage. How crazy that you would go between the pieces, that you would offer your own life as security. That you are so committed to us, that you promise to be faithful to us, that you are willing even to die for us. Lord, we still have doubts. Even when we see that, even when we see your word, we still have doubts, we're still unsure. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to believe. Help us see the length that you go to in pursuit of us. And Lord, help us to trust you till our dying breath. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.